BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. On episode 75 of the Green Street Hammers podcast, myself, Adam, Henry, Lou, and Aaron extensively talk about West Ham's two lopsided preseason wins before going into our very reasonable checklist about what would make us happy hammers for this transfer window. Keep it locked on the Green Street Hammers podcast. All right, welcome to Green Street Hammers podcast, episode 75, hosted by myself, Adam, and uh, our staff over here at Green Street Hammers. First of all, let's say hi to Henry Tomlinson. Henry, how are you doing? I'm good. Um, very happy with the results the other day. It's very rare we sort of have such a positive day of preseason. Usually we're scraping the barrel of a 1-0 win or a 1-0 loss or a 0-0 draw against some team in League 2, but it's nice to get some goals on the scoreboard and... A lot of them are good goals to enjoy. So, yeah. What about you, Adam? I'm, I'm good, too. And I want to say thank you. Uh, I, I've been out of commission a little while with some personal stuff with uh, coordinating and getting married in uh, the pandemic here. So I, I've been appreciative of you stepping up and hosting the podcast. And from what I heard myself and from others, it's been a smashing success. Uh, and with us, as usual, we have uh, two familiar faces. First of all, we got Lou. Uh, Lou, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm very good. Thank you. Uh just a repeat of what Henry said about their preseason matches. Yeah, uh, it's looking good, and uh, hopefully we can continue on, you know, in that vein of goal scoring form. You know what? It's it's 
interesting to say that we're happy right now, uh, given the time of year that we're in, being the transfer window and all. But preseason matches are kicking off, like we said, and it's been a positive start. Uh, last but not least, we have Aaron, my fellow Canadian. Aaron, how you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, you know, I think I can agree with everybody. Yesterday was uh, quite the positive day for West Ham, which I think maybe uh, the Twitter community might have might have needed with uh, the lack of going on in the transfer window. I don't know if that's something we'll maybe with something we'll touch on. I'm sure, but yeah, it was nice to see the goals uh, bang in. I, I wasn't able to watch them, so I was kind of following through Twitter. It reminded me of uh, my gambling days when I was trying to keep up with all the different goals that were going in. It was uh, it was lovely to see. Usually, those going against us, so. Yeah, I'm doing well. Well, that's good. That's good. We're all we're all in the same vein here. We want to sort of start out and continue on in the path of things that are positive right now. So we're going to start with the uh, Wickham game, the Wickham preseason match. There, you'd be crazy if you pronounce Wickham any way different in, uh, and than how it's said right there. So uh, I'll defer over to to Lou and Henry here. Um, Lou, we'll start with you. Uh, the lineups that were were. Uh, that were delivered for this for both games uh, were both fairly strong and a solid mix between senior and uh, academy players. Who were you most excited to see play in this match heading into it uh, before the first ball was kicked? Who, who were you uh, raring to see go for West Ham? Yeah, I was expecting one game, perhaps each which game to have a team full of senior players and then possibly the Wickham game. You know, more focused on academy, but yeah, there was a nice mix. And um, in the Wiccan game, particularly, obviously, we, we we know full well, you know, the likes of Antonio, Lanzini, and Bowen. But uh, Baptiste at the back, uh, he's really impressive. He looks very mature for his age. Um, I suppose he wasn't tested to a great deal by the Wiccan attack, but. From what he did have to deal with, he, he looked very professional and uh, calm and his passing was good as well. So it's nice to know we have a up-and-coming central defender who, you know, who looks to be able to, like he can, you know, progress in the, possibly in the first team in the, in the near future. I should jump in here and say that the starting 11 for this team was David Martin in goal, Johnson right back, Baptiste Ogbonna, center back, Mazuaku left back, a uh, central midfield, holding midfield of Noble and Cullen, uh, and then an attacking midfield three of Bowen, Lanzini, Fornals, and Antonio up top, the subs being Anang, Akinola, Adarqua, Longello, uh, Zande Silva, and Bernardo Rosa. So, as we had said, a pretty solid mix. And Baptiste, as you had mentioned there, was sort of turning heads with... Um, ITKs and whatnot, who had said he's been a standout in the preseason so far, and only being 16 years old and having a mustache uh, screams mature for his age, as far as I'm concerned. Who had to wait until he was into his early 20s to to sport one. So uh, I'm jealous of him on multiple occasions, I guess you could say. Here, uh, Henry, I, I want to jump over to you. Was there one name outside of Baptiste that jumped out on this 11 that you wanted to see uh, get into the match? Yeah, I think Baptiste, like, he was incredible. I think he only really made one error where he still made up for it. But the player that I was quite excited to see was actually Josh Cullen. Like, he's been around at the club forever, and it's always seemed every single week pre-season he gets his chance, and then he ends up going up on loan. But I thought he was solid, and he didn't do much wrong. He just kept the ball ticking along nicely, just played his game and sort of grew into the game quite well. And I'm not saying he's going to be like a starter for the club or anything, but I would like to see him be given a year at the club as like a rotational player for when 
injuries do eventually happen, even if it's just like a way of giving Mark Noble a rest because they are they play quite they have similar styles. So I was looking forward to seeing Josh Cullen. I thought he played really well. I thought he gave a good account of himself. Didn't do anything spectacular, but didn't do anything wrong. So he looked a really solid player, and you can understand why Charlton fans want him back at the club. So, yeah, he impressed me, and I really hope he does get given a chance, especially with how he did against Wickham. Fair, fair enough there. And I want to give Aaron an opportunity here. Aaron, uh, I was watching the uh, Ipswich game, uh, and you weren't able to catch either of them. So as, a, as an outsider here looking in who's read match reports, trying to you know see some highlights, the only highlight I've actually seen from this match was the own goal that uh, Wickham allowed, which is pretty embarrassing. Um, but uh, Aaron, do you have any questions for the two watchers here who, who can sort of break down whatever you're, whatever you're looking to know? Um, I, I guess, like, I mean, first and foremost, I think Baptiste uh, was kind of the guy I was interested to see how he made out. Um, you know, there's kind of, it's often, I think, hard for, especially for, you know, some of us who don't live in, in London or overseas and to kind of have a, you know, you hear about some of these players like Baptiste and some of the other players in the under-23 squad, but you don't ever really get to see a true connection to them on, on the first team. So I think it was kind of kind of nice to see some of those guys fit in with some senior players and, and see how, how they made out and if they were actually, you know, they get these big reputations, but you don't necessarily, you know, that doesn't always equal to like a, a smooth jump. So I just, I guess other than Baptiste in that match, I'm just wondering from... Uh, from you guys, what other under twenty three players really uh, really stood out or or didn't stand out? Who kind of made an impression on you? Henry, go ahead. You can jump in there first. Um, so, like, who really didn't stand out? Well, I think with the game, it was like everyone played really well. So well, that's me. Sorry, I'll you'll have to come back to me. No problem, Lou. We'll we'll, uh, we'll get you to take over for Henry there. Who out of the under twenty three contingent there uh, stepped up and looked most? Uh, acclimated outside of Baptiste and uh, and Cullen as we were saying and even you can provide your thoughts on Cullen who you didn't have a have a chance to chime in on but of the bench contingent there Akinola, Anang, Adarqua, Langello, Longello, uh, Zande Silva and Bernardo Rosa who looked the most uh, up to it and, and who looked like they still may need a few more years of development yeah um sorry you're gonna have to remind me of the left bucket came on uh Longello, Long- Longello? Yeah, he. I, I couldn't think which one it was, but yeah, I've never really heard much about him, or you know, obviously I've never seen him before. But when he did come on, he looked very lively in that left back position. He was roaming forward. Um, he had decent link up play with the midfielders. You know, nice one twos. His crossing was a bit, you know, off, but obviously there's plenty of time to work on that. But uh, just from what I saw. Uh, you know, yesterday against Wickham, I was I was very impressed with him, and I'd like to see more of him in the future. Maybe uh, going on in pre-season, potentially maybe in the cups this season, the League Cup, because I think we're certainly going to be using you know a lot of squad rotation for those because the you know the fixture con- congestion with with the season being quite squashed together. Uh, so I think we'll see a lot of youngsters so I'd like to see him more and regarding Cullen uh, for me personally I'd, like like Henry says we see him every pre-season he looks okay he's tidy but f- for me personally I, I just don't see him ever being a consistent 
Premier League player and not not for us. Um, he does look good at Championship level and League One level, but I think that's at the moment at least, or, or you know, is is his level as a footballer. Uh, I don't think personally he would cope with the physicality of the Premier League, and it. Is by this point he's he's not he's not a youngster anymore, so we can't even play that card. Uh, so, I think for his, the sake of his career, I think he might be best off looking for a move to the championship, get a move to a solid championship club, maybe in the future, do well and get promoted, and then perhaps get his shot, you know, in the Premier League. Then, but personally, I, I just can't see it being with us. Uh, question, follow-up question, I guess, here for you, Lou. Cullen sure. has been played in preseason matches and whatnot. And, and like you said, it, it was against Wickham here. So it's not the um, – even for, for Baptiste, you had said he wasn't challenged too much. And, and I guess the same probably goes for the entire team, Cullen included. Do you think against steeper competition or in, in more intense games that if he was playing a lot – like let's say um, something happened, Suchek had to come out of the game. Do you think he would play better if he was playing alongside someone like Declan Rice? Would that maybe build confidence? Or do you think, like you said, he sort of is capped out at a skill level that is championship quality? Yeah, I mean, it's all hypothetical, obviously, mm-hmm. because he hasn't been given the chance, which, you know, uh, I'm sure at some point in the last, you know, six years, seven years, has been playing in pre-season games with us, he would have felt he deserved the chance. But playing next to Rice, uh, yeah, possibly. I mean, replacing Suchek for Cullen isn't exactly a like-for-like, is it? I mean, Suchek obviously drives into the box, scores goals and gets an attacking move as well. Cullen generally sits deeper and, you know, ticks along the play. Uh, like, Like Henry said, Possibly in a more similar mould to uh, Noble, but I, I think <clears throat> I think ultimately he, like I say, I, I just I just see him being exposed at Premier League level, whether he's playing next to Declan Rice or not. I mean, I'd rather he play next to Rice than Noble, than as in a, a midfield pair of Cullen and Noble because that was get absolutely slaughtered to be honest yeah. but uh, yeah he, even next to Rice I, I personally I just don't see it but if if I'm proven wrong in the future and he does go on to be a good Premier League player you know for us or even someone else and I'll happily hold my hands up but just from what I've seen and him now being 24 I, I think it would be best for him if he tries to get a move away yeah, and I think that's fair too. If he doesn't see a path at this age, he's twenty three, twenty four now, like you had said. So he needs to either get into this team right now or move on. And you could even say that last year to play devil's advocate a little bit. Um, Pablo Fornells is roughly the same age. They play a different position, but central players. Uh, and when when presented with the issue of Fornells is too lightweight, most people would say, "Well, give him another year or two at the Premier League. He'll he'll beef up a little bit. He'll get used to it." So. Uh, in the same stroke, it could be used to justify playing Cullen a bit. And as well, if you're looking for saving money, which our board seemingly always is, uh, you'd much rather move on from someone like Jack Wilshire, who 
we will get to uh, when we talk about the Ipswich match here. But uh, yeah, Henry, I want to come back to you and Aaron's question. I think you're back with us now. Are you are you here, Earth to Henry? Yes, I am here. Sorry about that. <laughs> you're all good. You're all good. Um, yeah, who stood out the most outside of the names we've already talked about from the under-23 contingent there? Well, Ben Johnson, he was solid again. Like, he didn't really put anything wrong, but obviously like Baptiste and Cullen, like, he didn't have too much to sort of worry about, and he sort of just did his job and got on very sort of well. I think one player that sort of disappointed me, actually, was um, this... Uh, um the Sande Zande Silva um because he's so hyped about it. I know he only got a brief sort of cameo but he just wasn't able to get into the game really too much and sort of have an influence during his short time so I know you've asked me like which player impressed me but I think we've sort of covered a lot of them um mm-hmm. but yeah so Silva sort of let me down a bit considering how well we talk about him on social media as if like give him a go give him a go because Haller's not doing well and Antonio is a winger like if you think back to them like why isn't Silva having a go or a Yeti but Silva being the main one because he's supposed this young talent who scores hundreds of goals in the youth academy it seems he's had his debut and he scored against the Tottenham team and scored three goals I think so I was sort of expecting to see a little bit more from him um, which is sort of didn't happen. One player that did actually impress me, I just remembered, was the left back, uh, Longjello. That's um, who Lou highlighted as well. Yeah, I thought he did really well. And I did an article today of like winners and losers from the preseason games. And Aaron Cresswell's definitely sort of fallen into the loser category because Arthur Maseraku, he had a great game, and Longjello coming, coming onto the pitch. And he showed that he could also be. A potential player to break through next season as a left back, especially with when Maseraku decides to have his dodgy couple months of form. Um, <laughs> rather than maybe going to Crestwell, you go and have a look at the younger guy. And yeah, so I agree with Lou. Lou's picks obviously have been a uh, bang on. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of uh, a lot of uh, agreement across the board here, which is something we're, we're not known for at all. We never. We never disagree with each other all the time here. Uh, to, to sort of to close out this section here, I want to come back to you guys again here. And Lou, I'll start with you. Um, there's two. Actually, I'll split it up here, and you guys can sort of give your one-offs on each other too. But uh, I want to know more about how Lanzini and uh, Mazuaku played. Those are two players who, if we were probably picking it to start the uh, the season, sorry, start the off season, those would be the only two out of the starting eleven who we would probably pick to be sold this summer. So. I want to know how they got on. I know both of them scored goals, and uh, from what I heard, Mazuakus was quite impressive. So, um, so Lou, if you want to jump in with either one or, or both of them and, and break it down for me, I, I'd love to hear how they how they got on. Sure, I'll go with uh, Lanzi because I was really impressed with him. Yeah, it just looked and reminded me of the old Lanzini that we, you know, all came to love when he first joined and the first couple of seasons after that before his, you know, injury before the 2018 World Cup. He was, you know, breaking the lines between midfield and defence. He was getting in between the gaps. He was linking up with Bowen in particular. Um, and he was just dribbling the, in the way he, that he used to do, that he's been afraid to do since, since, like I said, the injury, or his return from injury anyway. And... Uh, Obviously, he got a goal as well, an impressive finish. Um, so yeah, it was it was just refreshing to see because 
Uh, we've not seen that Lanzini in quite a while since, well, I guess since last preseason when he actually he played in a similar vein. But hopefully this time he can realise that, you know, careers are short and he did get the injury and it has hindered him. But I think he needs to realise now that he's, he's 27, he should be in the prime of his career. And if he wants to get back to the level that he was playing at, then he needs to just believe in himself and believe in his own ability and not be afraid to do the things that he used to do. Uh, because I think that's been half his problem. I think confidence has Mental. just... Yeah, mentally. Mentally, his confidence has just been an issue over the past, past uh, you know, two years or so. And I think the injury absolutely dented that big time. Obviously, physically as well, but I think mentally is, or he's still not recovered from, or is hopefully on his on his way back from that. So I I, I really hope he continues in that vein of form for the rest of preseason and then going into the season, providing he's not sold, because you know if he gets back to not even his best, but you know, close to his best, and he'll be like a new signing for us. And we perhaps won't need certain players like Eze or other players in that position we've been linked to. Fair enough, fair enough, and that's all promising to hear. And maybe the mental hurdle will ha- well, could be for him, knowing that he doesn't have to be the man anymore. Uh, Felipe Anderson and uh, Pablo Fornals are both made for that number ten position. Maybe while embracing competition can sometimes ignite the fire. Uh, on the other side of things, knowing that you don't have to carry the mail by yourself could be a bit of a mental break for him. So that may be positive. And more time passing from that injury, for sure, could could certainly be a, a positive. Uh, all right, Henry, break down uh, Mazuaku's performance for us. I thought he was brilliant um, against Wickham. I, I gave him man of the match. He just edged ahead of uh, Lanzini for it and Bowen who were both, as like Lou said, Lanzini was great, and Bowen, he was tireless, as he usually is. But Maseraki, like, you know, every now and again, he has a game where everything goes right for him. Like, he takes on the players, and he's able to get back when he does lose the ball, needs to come back to help cover for the defence, and he just plays, like, a great game. You always think back to one of Moyes' first games uh, in charge against Chelsea, where he did 11 take-ons and so and whenever he sort of comes on after being out for the side, he comes in for a bit and looks incredible before his form starts to dip or so. And he had one of those games and he's just brilliant. Like a goal he scored. I don't know if anyone's actually really seen it because the camera sort of did a weird pan on it. And I don't really know if anyone's actually seen a full like range clip of it yet. But it's said to be like a, a great strike from about 30 yards looping over the goalkeeper. And he did a great assist for um, Jared Bowen, second of the game. Um, very sort of typical overlap on the left wing, getting the ball, cutting it back perfectly, and he did it really well. And as I said, like he was helping back at the defence, he was making tackles. And then when Nongelo came on, he shifted up the pitch actually into a more sort of central midfield, third, like the left CM of a midfield three. And I thought he looked very accomplished there as well. So he. It's very difficult to judge a Maserati because of how he can jump in and out of form. Um, like, if it's just maybe he's just having one of his good days before a bad day, 
But if he carries on the way he did play, then it maybe does soften the whole hump for a left-back a little bit. Obviously, I'm still very much in favour of us signing a new left-back, and my choice would be Rico Henry. But that's not the point at the moment. The point is, if Masraki was able to come into the side at the start of the season and play left-back like that, it might not be as bad as we think it could be. Um, but yeah, so very promising game from him, and like I said, that is just very impressive, and maybe does deserve a chance to sort of retake that left back spot. But I still think it's it's a position that still needs investing in um, for when Mazaraku does have one of his fun days where he decides to be a bit odd with his passing and decision making. But yeah, like, but in terms of just that game, it was a very impressive game from him and long may it continue because it could save the club a lot of money. Well, uh, they're certainly certainly not short on money or, or they're certainly not short on spending money because they haven't done anything other than confirm the signing of Thomas Suchik, but we'll get to that as well. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here and when we come back, I will field questions from these lads about the Ipswich game. For West Ham fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews, and the best West Ham videos and podcasts, download the free COY Irons app now from the App Store and Google Play. And welcome back to the Green Street Hammers podcast. It's part two. It might sound slightly different because I'm taking the reins for the second part, myself, Henry, um, obviously joined by Lewis and Aaron. And we're going to be asking Adam about the West Ham Ipswich game, which none of us were able to watch live, unlike Adam, who was reporting away, especially during the goal flurry that happened um Lou what questions do you have for Adam about what you need what do you want to know about the Ipswich game in particular um I was questioning I was wondering about uh Haller's performance because he got a hat trick uh which is you know great to see but even before his hat trick uh I've I've not personally seen the misses but uh he, I heard he missed a couple of golden, you know, opportunities, which a man of, you know, his quality probably should have been burying. So even with the hat trick, which were goals admittedly kind of put on a plate for him, uh, do you still worry about his finishing going into the new season? Because even at the end of the last campaign, he he missed a couple of good chances in certain games, which you would really be expecting him to score. Yeah, fair question. And I gave him in the player grades here. I gave him uh, an eight out of ten simply because he scored the hat trick. But I did, I did note that uh, he had two sitters. Uh, I guess they weren't tap-ins. He still had to shoot the ball on goal, uh, and both of them he shot it directly at the keeper. Uh, one of them he was clear in middle of the middle of the net, top of the box. The keeper came out and and he just shot it right into his hand. So. Um, it was certainly it looked like a confidence thing, or almost like he was in training. And you kind of you, you the idea is you want to train hard so that when it comes to the game time, you're you're ready to go. And it seemed like the less he thought about his finishing, the more clinical he got. So he uh, on the first goal did it go out of bounds from Grady and Ghana? I don't know. I don't have VAR in my brain here, which they would probably mess up anyway. So let's stick with it and, and say it works. Um, he beat his defender in front of the net. He literally just had to tap it, and it was past the keeper. Um, and Diangana did 99% of the work on that, but he still had to make that run. And an issue we've had with Antonio as our striker has been he hasn't been making those runs because he's sort of playing a, a non-conventional style of striker where he's, all, he's, well, he's a converted winger, right? So he doesn't have necessarily the best um, 
track record with with making those striker runs um and it's how heller got started last season so once he stopped thinking and, and just started shooting the ball he was great uh he also for the second one it, it was a lovely pass from uh suchek to find diangana and then diangana it, it was incredible he, he just threaded the needle across the box and, and Hilaire banged it into the top of the net again didn't have a chance to think about it just shoot it on net as hard as you can and it went in and then the last one was him getting rewarded for closing down actually I think it may have been Diangana again closing down the uh closing down the keeper and the defenders and he you know on one touch turned the ball over uh and, and put it in the back of the net so it was certainly confidence building um but like you had said Lou the the issues he had at the end of last season missing chances the one against Watford where he kicked it over his head that I, you can't even count that as a missed chance because it shouldn't have even been a chance. Uh, but there was a, there was another one I think it may have been against Newcastle where he turned his foot and it, it, the shot just went wide of the post and and it, it was unbelievably close to going in. It was almost ridiculous that it didn't go in. Um, but that, that, that sorry that would have been an example of uh, a goal that he would have scored in this match. It, it was just, he was on for those close range bang, bang plays. So um, a confidence builder, the start wasn't great, but uh, he grew into the game for sure. And, and was threatening in the air on the ground, everywhere he could, he could be there. That's really interesting to hear. I didn't like, especially with like Haller, like we're really wanting it. I think everyone wants it to work for him. And it's Macy sounds like he might be a victim of his own brain at times. He's just sort of overthinking some of his chances. Absolutely. Um, it did Aaron, show that he could get, sorry to cut you off there. It did show that he could get goals without a striker partner. Cause he was up top by himself in this match. Yeah. Do you think maybe because it's only Ipswich, that's why he was able to have so many chances. Uh-oh. Yeah. To a certain extent, for sure. Um, they did play well. Their keeper sort of put them under the gun a few times. Um, but, you know what? You can only play the team that's in front of you, and, and apart from scoring a hat trick, that's pretty dominant, right? So, um, yeah, uh, you, cool. you, you got to give credit, I guess, still where it's due. Yeah, and Aaron, what what player did you want to sort of know more about? Yeah, when you well, first off, I think kind of uh, talking about Halera, that was kind of the first thing I thought about when I was kind of reading the updates from our uh, the Green Street Hammers Twitter account about a couple missed chances for him. I I remember he came on against Burnley too, and like his first touch of the game. So granted, it was a bit tough to get in the game that way. He had that clear cut chance that could have put us level, and he just kind of scuffed it. And it's sometimes it seems like he's not doesn't have that necessarily a killer instinct to kind of that you want your striker to have that one chance, one goal, kind of the Chicharito <laughs> approach. So when I saw, here we go again. I mean, obviously I think, you know, against Ipswich, you're going to get more opportunities to bury some. So that makes it a little easier, but you know, on a, a November night away to Chelsea or something, you might only get that one opportunity. So you want him to, to have that instinct and be able to, to really, you know, really get a goal when we need it. So, I mean, like, time will tell with that. Um, in terms of the player, I was I was kind of confused when I first saw the lineup. I couldn't figure out exactly what formation we were going to be playing because of uh, seemingly the lack of a, a right-back. So I'm kind of interested to see, you know, hear about Connor Coventry filling in there. He's a player that XWHU employee seems to kind of talk about and think highly of. And I just wonder, you know, with his performance there, I think he's usually more of a a center or attacking midfielder if i'm not mistaken but i could be wrong like is he going to kind of be a maybe a player this year that could be a bit of a jack of all trades or is it you think it's just a one-off that he's at that right back position because of frederick's injury 
I'm happy you you asked about that because I thought the exact same thing. I looked at the team, the the starting eleven. I'm like, okay, we're doing three at the back, but then I'm like, okay, because that means Cresswell's a left center back. Because I knew Alessi, Elise, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, uh, was a center back as well. He was at Accrington Stanley last year on loan. And I knew that that was sort of how it was shaking out. But yeah, it's filling in at right back, you would never know he wasn't that by trade. And when I broke it down, I think I gave him a 7.5 out of 10. He assisted uh, a goal for Thomas Suchek. Uh, Suchek ran to the back, or Sochek ran to the back post. The, the cross was high and curling, and it just went right around any defender. The, the keeper could never have come out to make a play on it. And uh, Socek just wanted it more at the back post there. Um, but the him defensively, he's a holding midfielder to sort of answer your question there. I think by trade, he's, he's a holding midfielder. He'll stay deep. He'll sort of break up the play and turn the ball back over. So um, when it came to decision-making, the only reason I took any marks off of him is because he made some poor decisions to step up on a tackle or to overlap when he shouldn't have or to come back uh and not jump up in the play so just a couple things that would come from playing that position more but um on the flip side of it he made those poor decisions in areas where it wasn't going to hurt West Ham so in West Ham's defensive third he wasn't putting a foot in the wrong spot he was covering back he was staying close he wasn't afraid to put a ball out for a corner kick if it meant killing the attack uh, so I was thoroughly impressed with them. Again, yeah, the, the mistakes or decisions he made that were um, gambles were at the halfway line or, you know, were not with the with Ipswich rushing down the wing. So it, it was a very controlled performance. He took those chances. Even when they didn't succeed, he didn't hurt his team. Um, the goal against was really uh, Fabian Balbuena. He stepped up to track a man, which he didn't have to. Uh, and then when the ball came by him, he pulled out of a tackle and that left, uh, I think it was Cardoso. No, it was, uh, I forget if it was, it was Longello, I believe. No, I think it may have been Cardoso, actually. Either way, uh, one of the one of the under-23 center backs to either kind of walk backwards with this attacker or try and make a tackle. He stepped up to try and make the tackle, which I probably would have done as well. And then it was Freddie Sears pretty much in alone uh, with Connor Coventry tracking back again to try and cover him. So, um yeah, Coventry was thoroughly impressive at right back. I don't know if he'll be the guy to say, play me wherever you need me and I'll give you your your you know my best effort. But if that's the case, there's a spot for him on this team for sure. That's really interesting because I was really curious to see how Coventry got on at right back as well. So it's good to see that there's potential there for him to sort of take that role if he does want it. Um, but also that he's going to be... a relatively decent defensive mid like X says um now Adam I'm going to ask you about someone I don't really know if anyone's really been talking about his performance or anything but um how did Dean Garner get on (laughs) oh Henry 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 uh Dean Garner was was the star of the show I didn't give him man of the match but I did give him the honor of saying he could have been man of the match depending on whoever you ask um exceptional I've he wasn't 10 out of 10, but I don't know because you can't give a perfect 10 out of 10 score because then nothing can ever be better than that. But he's as close as you could get to it. Um, what really impressed me with him was how easy he made everything look. When he was sprinting, he didn't look like he was going all out, but he, he won every ball. When it came to dribbling and taking on pressure, this is what really truly impressed me. He would welcome these players to come and attack him and you know, one, two, three quick quick dribbles and the ball's out, still in West Ham's possession, and he's broken free from these three players. So he was 
everywhere on the pitch. He was getting the ball. He didn't give up on, on balls going out of bounds. He was making the runs wide to sort of pull defenders to give Alaire more space in the middle and to also open up those lanes for Felipe Anderson to, to exchange with him, even to involve Cresswell, um, who doesn't get up and down as quickly as he used to, but he involved him in the play as well. And also uh, Socek, uh, you know, having a, a left winger who pulls defenders out wide and makes those lanes available for a central midfielder to run to the back post. That's what creates goals like how Socek scored. So uh, he was top notch. I mean, you can't say enough about him. The fact that they're the, I think it's the sun is posting articles about West Ham, you know, thinking about selling. Like it, It's ridiculous. There, there'd be no chance. And now I think that if West Ham sold Diangana, David Moyes would resign as manager. So that's how impressive he was and how crucial I think he'll be to this year's team. Yeah, I think we're always very excited to see how Dean Garner gets on in a West Ham shirt this season, especially after how he played yesterday and also everything he did at West Brom. I also want to ask about Felipe Anderson because obviously he had a quiet end to the season where he wasn't really in the side and you said that he sort of looked like he may be getting back to his better self. And also we had an article go up the other day, I think it was Aaron saying like he's been prone to inconsistency his whole career so what did you make of him Adam and like does it look like he could carry on towards the start of the season yeah and uh, Aaron was it you that that wrote that article yeah yeah I did a little bit of delving back into found some you know kind of sites that were somewhat like ours from his time at Lazio that really you know the same stuff that we kind of complain about him you know he's he can look like a world beater one week and then, or, you know, for several weeks and then go on these long stretches where, uh, where he just doesn't look like he can even affect the game. I, one of the articles I came across, it turned out like he was basically almost for over a month at Lazio, the season before he joined West Ham, he was like banished to the reserves. Like they didn't even have space for him in their, their match day kind of squads. And, uh, another interesting thing, just to kind of throw it out there, I didn't include it in the article. It was, but they really, uh, he had a lot of trouble finding a position at Lazio. He played a lot of different positions. He, you know, played as like a, a number 10. One of the seasons he was out, in, you know, he was out in the left wing early on his time there. And there was even an, almost an entire season where he actually played as a right wing back, which was uh, kind of crazy to think about with some of the issues of him tracking back. But I mean, it kind of maybe shows, you know, as dominant of a player as he can be that, you know, I mean, I guess the best way to put this is like, you know, a guy like Jared Bowen is how consistent he is. You know, he's your he's your right wing guy. You're gonna find you're gonna make sure that's his spot. And it seems like Anderson, because he is so inconsistent, kind of you're constantly moving him around, trying to find a place that he's gonna excel at. And I know maybe that is something we need to think about doing more, whether playing him at you know off the striker at some points this year, or if we you know. I don't, I don't really know what to do with them, I guess, but yeah, I kind of went on a tangent there. But anyways, back to you. Yeah, and I think it's important that you said, you know, he spent time as number 10, but also flipping around left wing to right wing back. Uh, and for West Ham, he's been predominantly a left winger. But um, much like how Alaire needed time to grow into this game, it was almost a carbon copy for Felipe Anderson. First of all, he wore a headband. That was game-changing for him. He had the attitude of, uh, of a... St. Maximin, if you will. Uh, no, he, he was he he was ready to go, it seemed. He was up, he was chasing balls down, but he was making passes that weren't situationally correct. And what I mean by that is he had the ball at the edge of the box. He was blocked off by a couple of defenders, couldn't go any further. And instead of um, just making a safe and easy pass to the player running onto him, he did a sort of drag it back behind his planted foot and then go behind the back 
to sort of give the ball to run onto a little bit of trickery. The only problem is that ball was going to Aaron Cresswell. So he wasn't reading the situation, right? He was just thinking, I'm going to try and do the best coolest thing that I can do at all times. And that faded and the situational awareness grew. So by that, I mean, he embraced the number 10 role. He stayed centrally, but his role was basically find whichever winger has the ball, close in on them, give them an opportunity to play off of me, and then get back centrally as soon as, soon as I could. And he did that exceptionally well. Um, he he was pulling defenders at the edge of the box. He was supporting Alaire. He was also tracking back. He, I, I remember one time specifically because Cresswell... Um, was caught out too deep. Felipe Anderson busted it down the left side of the pitch and got back and covered for Cresswell uh, and and sort of helped push the ball out of bounds and let everyone get get set up again. So it was was a really strong performance from him. And and I think I gave him a 7 out of 10 and basically said it was a a confidence game because that's what he needs and that'll come with time, I think. But it was a performance to build on and it looked like the number 10 spot. Again, it was just Ipswich, but that could be a role he could embrace for sure. I'm kind of uh, like even hearing you say that I'm almost okay that he tried like some attempts at trickery and some confidence plays rather than even making that simple pass just because you know I think we can all agree near the end of the season or even like at chunks of the season like he looked like how I would almost look if someone threw me into into the West Ham lineup like the second the ball came to me I would just try to get it to somebody else because and that's kind of he seemed like he was almost he would get the ball and just try to hand it off as quick as he can so the fact like even if it's maybe not right in that situation, the fact that he's actually trying to do something besides hand the ball off to somebody almost is a good thing like for, for a preseason to try to like, build his confidence, I think. For sure, yeah. The, the the confidence to do that was there. It was just situationally. If it was Diangana, you're thinking like, okay, he'll pick up the ball and whatever. It clanked off of Cresswell's shins and then the ball was turned over. So it was almost like he, he needed to realize I'm not passing to a skillful player. I'm passing to a role player here. So... Um, yeah, that you always want to spur on that uh, that excitement and that um, that confidence confidence for sure. Yeah, so that's really good analysis. It's good to see Anderson like potentially coming back to his best that we all sort of fell in love with when he first signed. And Adam, like, is anyone that you might want to? pick out like potentially your star in the making as you say in your match ratings yeah there's two players i really want to give credit to here where it's due um and it it, not even credit i want there's two players i want to talk about in this team and as far as it being set up here i'm just pulling up the starting 11 again uh and for this one it was randolph and goal um coventry right back alessi ls balbuena and cresswell back four Suchek, Wilshere, Holding, and then uh, attacking midfield three of Yarmolenko, Anderson, Diangana, and Hilaire up top. Um, so let's start with the negative and finish strong here. The negative was Jack Wilshere. Um, he was the weakest player on the pitch, and it wasn't really even close. Um, he he made Suchek look like a, a, a distant memory of the player we saw at the end of last season, just simply because Suchek didn't know what to expect from him. He was Wilshere was holding onto the ball and then would make quick, like, two-foot passes that would put Suchik under pressure right away, whereas Declan would look further up the pitch, find somebody, throw a ball over the top, or he would make that split decision on, okay, let me get it back to to the center back who can then give it to the keeper and we can start this over again. Wilshire was rushing things. I think he was too eager to try and make an impact, and it just looked atrocious. Um, I think West Ham need to have a conversation with him and see exactly what his 
what his thoughts are about uh, regarding mutual termination of a contract because he's going to sit and waste away on West Ham's bench. I don't think he's worth playing the season because I think he's actually capable of hurting the team. Um, and again, you can say it's just it's just a preseason game, but we're, we're taking credit away from attackers for scoring against a team like Ipswich because of their the league they're in. But we should be grilling players like Wilshere for how poorly they performed against "quote unquote" just Ipswich, in my opinion. Um, very concerning for him, for sure. Um, but to end positively, Aji, Ajay, uh, Alisi, Alessi, uh, West Ham center back again. He went to Accrington Stanley last year on loan, and he's 19 years old, I believe. He was, I mean, he was the best player on the pitch, even with the Ingana included in my mind. Um, something he did really well, and it was completely reminiscent of Ogbonna, and I wonder if this is Ogbonna sort of taking him under his wing. You know when defenders play the ball over the top to their strikers to sort of run onto down the middle of the pitch, but Ogbonna sort of holds onto the striker and uses them to lift off and, and deflect the ball away? Alessi was doing, I'm going to go with Alessi, he was doing that to perfection. The amount of duels he won without even allowing the center back to jump up was crazy. Um, he started the game really strong because we, we had possession right away. The ball went to Balbuena. He tried to pass it down the right wing and shot it directly at the striker. The ball bounced up in the air. Balbuena lost body position to him. This is within 30 seconds of the game starting. And the striker took a shot, and it was Alessi who was who was there to block the shot and put it out of bounds. So he made a critical, a critical stop there. He was covering back for Cresswell with relative ease because he was playing on the left side of the center back pairing. Um, and again, on the goal, he was the one defender. Sorry, he was off at this point in time, but uh, he, he was not at fault for anything negative going on. So he, he was controlled. He actually made a run, and the announcers said, you know, Diangana is going in for a run here. Oh, he wins the corner. And then you see the player get up, and it's Alessi, who had made the run in from center back position uh, with uh, either Wilchek or, sorry, uh, <laughs> Wilshire or Socek covering back for him. So. As good as everyone was saying Baptiste was, and I don't know because I didn't watch that match, um, there's a reason why this kid started over Cardoso. There's a reason why he was selected to go on a loan last year and not stay with the under-23s. I genuinely think he's a better center-back talent, and I would pick him over Balbuena starting a game tomorrow against Manchester City or Liverpool or whoever. He's defensively responsible. He picked and chose his moments to jump into the attack. It was sparingly, but he still did it. Um he looked completely in, you know, in control of what was going on. He, and he looked like a leader at the back as well. Um, I know I've, I've been rambling there, but a, a gold star goes on goes on him because um, he looks like an absolute player for sure. That's really good to hear. Like the fact that usually in preseason, like the games are sort of settled by the usual sort of first team eleven, if you will. But from both games, everyone's seen promising performances from the academy so that's also that's got to be really positive to hear as West Ham fans like young players that we could all imagine being on the bench and maybe even starting come the season start because let's face it we're not signing anyone anytime soon and the season starts in two weeks um so yeah it's really good to see these players starting to come through and make impact and sort of outperform the first team so yeah, that's really good to hear. We'll take our second break here and we'll be back to you in a minute. All right, for the final segment of the podcast here, one that's gone, we'll probably go a little bit longer, but we're happy to finally be talking something positive. Uh, we want to end with a positive note as well. So this is going to be basically our individual blueprints for how West Ham can still finish this transfer window 
being positive and it should start with the caveat of West Ham appear to be losing out to uh, Crystal Palace for the signing of uh, Eze, David Moyes' identified top target. You know, there, there could be, you know, bigger fish to fry for West Ham at the moment. So, you know, with, with not spending big, with, you know, kind of being touted lies along the way, which we're used to by now, we want to sort of end positively. How can West Ham turn this last few weeks before the season starts around? Uh, and we're going to go to Henry first. Henry, what's your blueprint? Who are the players you want in? Who are the players you want out? What, 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 do you, what would it take for, to make you a happy hammer come the first game of the season? I think like, in terms of for the club to have a, like, a positive end to the window, I think in my, in my ideal world, we need at least one signing definitely, and that's a left-back. I've mentioned already my first choice would be Rico Henry, just to add competition and a bit of extra quality to that spot especially as we're playing Brentford on the weekend. So that could be a very, very good time to sort of scout him and see how he gets on. But for me, for us to have a positive end to the window, it's more, it's less on bringing people into the club, but making sure certain people stay at the club. Um, the fact that Declan Rice is still a West Ham player is an am- is amazing so far because of how good he was last season. And also making sure Grady Dean Garner stays at the club as well. Like both of them are going to be crucial for the success next season. It's why I think missing out on Ebrichi Eze and maybe say Ben Rama or Ollie Watkins might not be the worst thing in the world because if we sign them, it could inhibit the development of Dean Garner. We've got great attacking options already. We scored nine goals in two games yesterday. Like there clearly is an attacking ability there with. Haller and Antonio, Yarmolenko, Lanzini, Fornals, Anderson, Grady Dean Garner, Jared Bowen. Like, there's some great attackers there, but it all has to start from defence, and that's what needs to be strengthened. I think the centre backs, they're okay for the next season. Ogbonu will be getting on a bit, so you need to sort of start thinking about replacing him. But in terms of for just this window, I'd be perfectly happy if we kept the squad we have now, but just added in a left back and then. I'd be relatively happy. I mean, I think it's still quite abysmal that that's what I'll be happy with because of how bad it's been so far. But I'd say if they signed a left-back and it was someone with the quality like Rico Henry, then that would give us a positive end to the season. All right, that's that's pretty fair. And, and I think that's not asking too much, which is um, part of being positive is setting your... Uh, setting your sights on something that's realistic because you're not going to be let down. So um, I think that's fair for, for what you just put out there for us, for sure. They can still try let us down. <laughs> I mean, they'll do their damnedest, I'm sure. Uh, all right, Aaron, let's come to you next here. Um, what's it going to take to make you a happy hammer? Yeah, I mean, I I think, like Henry said, I, I really do think there needs to be an upgrade at the left-back position. I mean... I liked what he had to say about, you know, he made a great point about Arthur Mazuaku and he has these blinder games sometimes where he looks so fantastic. But part of what separates, you know, good players from players like Mazuaku is that consistency, right? And like, you just never truly know what you're going to get with him. And Cresswell just kind of looks finished. If we were able to upgrade that position first and foremost, I think I'd be, you know, pretty happy with that. You know, maybe maybe some center back coverage, like a like a Duffy kind of player or something like that, just to, to make sure, you know, Balboina kind of looks 
looks like, you know, the kind of guy who is very inconsistent as well. I mean, on top of that, Dean Ghana is basically, I know it, you know, we've all said it because the board has been cheap and isn't spending money, but getting him back is kind of like making a new signing. And, uh, you know, he's kind of like signing the type, exact type of player that we talk about wanting to bring in, right? Like a young, hungry player from the championship that wants to, you know, plays the British game and wants to make an impact. You know, he just came out of one of the, the toughest leagues in the world in terms of, you know, the physicality and the number of matches and, and whatnot. So I think he's keeping him around is going to be massive. Keeping Declan Rice around is going to be great. And, um, you know, I I genuinely feel if, you know, we saw good things from Lanzini and uh, Anderson yesterday, you know, imagine if we could get one of those two guys going. It would almost essentially be an, like like a new signing. And I know I've been the first one to criticize both of them. You know, I kind of wrote a an article about Lanzini a few weeks ago about, you know, coming to the twilight of his West Ham career and not being the player he used to be. And I wrote the other piece about Anderson, but like if both of them or one of them are able to prove me wrong, the team would be, be so much stronger because of it. Um, so I don't think anything too crazy needs to happen. You know, we always talk about being the Academy of football and, you know, if, if we're going to be, try to achieve and be a mid-level team this year, and I think we need to, you know, be realistic and recognize that what's what's wrong with getting some of those young players, you know, some game time rather than an overpriced, maybe older player who might make the exact same amount of impact. So I don't, um, I don't necessarily need to see too much happen. I'm not too upset that we haven't spent money in that sense, but I, uh, I just want to see some of the players that struggled last year get going. And I, uh, I think, you know, in Lanzini's case as well, I should add David Moyes has been one of his strongest supporters. And maybe now that he's not in the thick of a relegation battle, he might have a little more patience with the Lanzini or Anderson to try to get them going for a, a 38 game season, as opposed to, you know, nine matches at the end of the year where he absolutely had to get results. So, I mean, I'm, it won't take too much to please me. I still feel kind of positive because of how we ended last season. All right, that's that's reasonable too. I think. I mean, you're not at, we're not asking for the world here, and I'm going to continue that. I'm going to continue that trend as well. Um, there's three things I want to see happen, and I and I guess um, these are my specific things. These are what I'm going to outline in a post for Green Street Hammers in the coming days. Um, but three things that West Ham can do to end this window positively. Uh, one would be. Swap center back, sell Fabian Balbuena. Um, I know he had some interest from Syria. If he wants to go back to South America, look for something there. Anywhere that will take him. Um, you don't even have to worry about selling on for a profit. I think we got him in for $7 million. If you could get something similar to that, even a little below, I would be fine with that. And and replace him with that uh, loan to buy Shane Duffy. I think that's a, a leader in the in the room that you'd want there. I think Fabian Balbuena, while he may be good with some of the guys who, speak, who are from Latin America, and speak Spanish and, and whatnot, uh, I think he could be um, a, a little bit more of a hanger-on at this point in time rather than a contributor, and I wasn't impressed at all with his performance against Ipswich, so I would move him on 100% uh, and, and swap him out for Duffy, someone who's proven in England and uh, someone who could actually step up and play and could actually help West Ham be a little more, excuse me, a little more dynamic by playing three or five at the back if need be, so... Um, that would be my first move. My second move would be along with what uh, Henry said. I, I was double taking there because I, I too want Rico Henry as our left back. The fact that he's not uh, pulled from matches according to X today and he's also um, still available after a great season for almost promoted Brentford says to me that you know there's still a deal to be made there for him. Uh, you can finance that with uh, with the money you make off Balbuena as well as a jetty, as well as Hugel. So you're, you're, we're not asking for the world again, just a simple move there. And then the last move I want is some striker depth. 
And Zande Silva had a great return to action for the end of the season. I think he scored three goals in three games for the under-23s. Um, try and find some sort of loan for him or um, stick him with the under-23s for the entire season and bring him up as a, as a depth option, as a winger or striker, because he does play on the wing as well. But someone like, and I'm going to get my head bitten off for this one, but Daniel Sturridge, he's 30 years old. He's got an awful injury record. Um, but you know who else is in the, he fills both of those categories? Uh, Danny Ings, who's I think a few years younger than him, but uh, you know Danny Ings had a breakout season with Southampton this year. I think if you bring in and use someone like Daniel Sturridge, who is a proven goal scorer, an England international, um, use him sparingly as a bench option to give Alaire a little bit of a break and to also you know bring that English core up a little bit for sure. Uh, you could have some positives here, and just to support myself, he played uh, he played with. Um, Trabzonspor from uh, from the Super League in Turkey last year. 11 league matches. He had four goals, four assists. He played in uh, a cup for them there. I can't even... Uh, Turkey Kupasi Cup. Uh, three games. He had three goals, and he failed to score in two games in the Europa League. Um, he was intermittently out with uh, fitness and personal issues throughout the year, but he was also starting matches. 60 minutes, 76, 60. Uh... 65, 75, 60, still on 84. Um, he, when he played 84 minutes, he's the most minutes in the game. He played, uh, he scored um, two goals in that match. So there's plenty to, to go on here for, for West Ham. This is just one example. I think you want some experience at striker that's not going to be a youngster who you're wasting their career like we did with, not even a youngster, but a younger player like a Jetty, someone who's a little bit more experienced and knows how to do a job and be a role player. That's what I would want, those three things to happen there. Uh, Lou, I'll hand it over to you. What's going to make you happy uh, come the end of this transfer window? Yeah, I'm going to suggest something that's perhaps maybe not a priority, but something that's not been discussed amongst you know West Ham fans is someone that's uh, centre midfield. I mean, we've got Rice, who looks to be staying. We've got Suchek, obviously, who's been tremendous since he's coming, and uh, of course, we've got Noble as well. Um, you could add Cullen to that, but the chances are, based on precedent, that he will go out on loan to someone again. So, say we've got three centre midfielders there. Um, I'm I'm just not sure if that's enough enough depth in that specific position because you know all it takes is one injury and we're down to a starting pair of say Suchek and Noble if Rice suddenly you know twists his angle or whatever and then I think against most Premier League midfielders that that would truly be exposed so I wouldn't be averse to looking I'm I, I'm not going to say who because at at the minute at the top of my head, um, I'm not really sure who we could potentially bring in in that position. To be fair, the other week actually on the podcast I did uh, mention Matty Longstaff from Newcastle, who's been let go on a free. Um, I'm not sure what his current status is, whether any clubs have picked him up or not. But I think. We- Signed a new deal at Newcastle. Did he sign a new deal in the end? Oh well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's that's out of the picture. But um, yeah, if if we could pick another centre midfielder up on the on a cheap, 
uh, or even on loan from a decent club, uh, you know, um, that one of the better Premier League clubs are looking to offload. And I wouldn't, like I say, I wouldn't be averse to that because I think we are potentially one injury from a centre midfielder away from, you know, not not a crisis, but I think that area looks a little bit worryingly thin. Um, Henry's just popped up there saying uh, Loftus cheek, but I'm not sure personally if Chelsea would want him to go. I mean, I know they've got. I think they've got quite a lot of options there now, but I know Chelsea fans personally who rate him, you know, highly and would have him starting if he was, if he was, you know, injury free week in week out, which obviously he isn't. But uh, it that'd certainly be an option, and I'd I'd like to see it, but I'm I'm not sure how realistic it would be. But like I say, centre midfield in general isn't top priority, but. Um, I, I, I wouldn't mind us looking at someone else just to bring in his cover. I mean, don't look at the free agent list for center midfielders. I think the only name I know on there is Tom Carroll. I don't know how excited you'd be about him joining yeah. uh, West Ham. I'd rather not bother. <laughs> you might as well give it to Cullen then. Yeah, exactly. So, I, I mean, that kind of does it for us. Again, we're not asking for a lot here as West Ham fans and supporters. We know we're not going to likely get, you know, Ollie Watkins as a Ben Rama, and I don't think we need to, as Henry had brought up before. And actually, we all have sort of said. But just some depth moves, some moves to strategically set us up for a more balanced and predictable, quote-unquote, nothing's predictable with West Ham season. Um, but, you know, I think there's there's room for improvement here without breaking the bank. Um our owners like to cry the poor mouth whenever they can. So uh, doing it during a pandemic, you know, there's more sympathy there. But with teams like Southampton and and uh, Fulham and West Brom ready to spend money and, you know, challenge us for those positions, Crystal Palace as well at the mid table and, and trying to push in. I can't even look at Everton and say we're in the same tier as them anymore because Ancelotti looks to be revolutionizing this team here with Allen and Ducure and now James Rodriguez linked with them. Um it seems like they're going to push on uh, with relative ease this season. So um, it'll be interesting to see where it all shakes out there. Um, we will touch base hopefully next week here as we can do a little, uh, uh, you know, a, a rerun on the preseason matches that were played over the weekend. I think the Betway Cup may be happening in between now and then as well. Um, actually, do we know when the Betway Cup's happening? I know we have, we have, uh, we have Brentford this weekend. Now, 2020, September 5th versus Bournemouth. That would put us at a Saturday podcast. So you know what? We'll, we, we'll likely do one next week. We'll talk about the match against Brentford. Hopefully talk about West Ham's 10 new signings who are going to revolutionize their team. And then the week after that, we could talk about the prestigious Betway Cup. Um, but that's going to do it for us here at, at the Green Street Hammers. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks for sticking around with uh, with us over this uh, tumultuous transfer window. Uh, we look forward to writing a lot more for you guys, talking a lot more on the podcast feed. And until next week, come on, you irons.
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.